0: Uh, this morning, again, we're going to continue in this series called The Blessed Burden, where we are hoping and just praying and believing that God reignites a passion for evangelism, for telling people about Jesus in our own lives, in our communities. We're praying that God does it in such a way that our church is never the same. And I'm going to remind you each week during this series of the four things, the four pillars of our personal evangelism strategy that we believe is going to help all of us complete this mission. So four things that's going to help us all be able to be a people who are sharing the gospel regularly in our lifestyle. First is that we are people who pray. We've got to be willing to pray. We've got to pray for every day for opportunities to share the gospel. And then we've got to pray for boldness. Pray that we would have boldness to follow through on sharing the gospel with people. Secondly, we've got to see. We've got to pray that God opens our eyes to see people and to consider their spiritual condition. In our life, it's easy for us to kind of get in our schedule, our mode, get in the car, go to work, go to ball practice, go to the grocery store, and just come home and and, and to not see people concerning their spiritual condition around us. So pray that God opens our eyes. Thirdly, share that God gives us the boldness to share, we want to serve people well, but at the end of the day, bringing the gospel to people is sharing about Jesus. Got to verbally share, and that starts off with just sharing your personal testimony of how Jesus saved you, and then just sharing the brief story but the powerful, life changing story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then finally, invite. We have to be a people who are regularly sharing the gospel and inviting people. To come to faith in Christ. there is. You can do that at home. You can do that in the workplace. You can do that everywhere. As you share about Jesus. And then you can invite people. Would you like to come to faith in Jesus right now? Would you like to give your life to Christ right now? Uh, and then also invite people to church. You know, not every gospel conversation gets all the way to the point to where you can invite people to come to faith in Jesus. You want to carry it as far as you can, but not every gospel opportunity gets to that point. But what we can often do in any, in any engagement is just to invite people to church. And we were just believing that as you invite people to church, God uses the invite and brings lost people into the house of the Lord on Sundays and Wednesdays, and people can come to faith in Jesus. So we need to pray, share, see and invite, but with that being said, I want to give you one more final thing before we open up God's Word today. As you came in, uh, you should have received a worship guide. If you didn't, they're available outside on your uh, way out. But inside of each of our worship guides today, uh, you have this little brown luggage tag. And so, you, if you have one of these, pull it out real quick. Hold on to that. You can hold it up. And say, "This is my luggage tag." There are others. I'm joking. You don't need to say that. Uh, but this is what I want you to do. What we're going to do today. And we're gonna invite you to do in the days ahead to help you pray for lost people in our community. Is we want you to take a moment and write down the first names of some people in your life that you're praying to see come to know Jesus. Ask, write down the first name of some people that maybe you're praying for gospel opportunities. To share with. Just write down Joe, Sally, Cindy, whoever that may be. Write down those first names. Pray. Take a moment. Say, God, put, put show people, put people in my heart that you want me to be burdened about for the gospel. And then as you leave today, just outside our door to the right of the worship center as you come in, we have a beautiful Blessed Burden Wall uh, that the built for us. Super thankful for you guys doing that. And uh, what we're going to do is you hang that up there. And as people walk by and we'll take some intentional moments in the day ahead well, we're going to go to that board and you're going to see all those names and we're going to take some time to pray and we're going to take some time to pray for each one of these names that we would get to see people come to faith in Jesus and even for you on a weekly basis as you come to church you will see those names staring at you in the face saying are you looking and praying for these people to come to faith in Jesus and I have seen the Lord do this before When you do intentional moments like this, how beautiful will it be on those Sundays when we get to baptize somebody who has given their life to Christ and you walk them out there to the wall and you take down your tag and you show them their name where you've been praying for them specifically to come to faith in Jesus. So church family, are you excited about this? I think God can use this in a great way. Let's give the Lord a hand if you're going to commit to do this in the days ahead. Thank you so much for that. So with that being said, I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning in reverence to the reading of God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, remember, Paul has just been celebrating the fact that one day he's going to get to go to heaven to be with Jesus. And so pick up with me here in verse 9. It says, Therefore, anytime you see therefore in Scripture, that connects you to what he just said. Ask yourself the question. What's the therefore, therefore? Therefore, he just talked about going to heaven. He said, we have as our ambition, whether at home, meaning in the body, or absent, meaning if he dies, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest to God. And I hope we are made manifest also in your consciences. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, would you put this word deep in our soul? God, I pray, Lord, that you would change us today. Lord, I ask, Lord, use me as your vessel, God, to speak your word today. And God, I pray, Lord, that it would fall on fertile soil this morning for your name and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In these short three verses, I believe we see the crux of Paul's passion for sharing the gospel message. You know, the Apostle Paul was the greatest missionary the world has ever known uh, in his lifetime, using the the Roman network of roads, which was incredibly modern in that time, and also uh, some time on the sea. Paul traveled to Israel, shared the gospel in Israel. He shared the gospel in Syria. He shared the gospel in Turkey. He shared the gospel in Greece, and he shared the gospel in Italy. The book of Acts records in great detail all of these areas that Paul went to share the gospel with Jesus. Most scholars would agree that Paul spent, went roughly 10,000 miles in his lifetime, traveled 10,000 miles telling people about Jesus. Most of that was on foot. I remember uh, when I was early in ministry, I was a youth minister at Farmstead Baptist Church, and I had on my khaki pants one day, and I had on some flip-flops to church. And I remember my pastor saying, uh, hey, man, you're rocking in flip-flops this morning. I said, yeah, man, Jesus wore flip-flops. He said, yeah, he walked everywhere he went, too. Um, but Paul went everywhere on foot, mostly, and he's 10,000 miles sharing the gospel. By his own sweat, he was bringing the gospel message, but also by his own suffering. The Bible records that on three different, that he was given 39 lashes by the Jews on five different occasions for preaching Jesus. Three times he was beaten with rods, and even once he was stoned, which was intended to be a sentence of death. He endured all of these things ultimately because he just was bringing the gospel message of Jesus to other people. Paul's passion in bringing the gospel to people is seen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, he said, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I may by all means, listen to this, save some or win some. When we hear about somebody going 10,000 miles by foot in their lifetime, in their lifetime bringing the gospel to people, being whipped with, thir- taking 39 lashes, which was to whip people to the point of death in their life, five different times, to be stoned for preaching the gospel, even the most dedicated of us as Christians, we look at that and we say, How? How did Paul live with such a passion to win souls? Ultimately, it's because he had a deep urgency. The gospel. The title of our message today is the urgency in our mission. We're going to talk about how is our motivation, what is our urgency to tell other people about Jesus. Where does that come from? You know, the value of a sense of urgency and passion in anything you do in life matters. Any, anything that you want to do well, even in your job and in school or whatever you may do, if you want to do anything well, you've got to have passion behind it. You've got to understand the purpose. You've got to know that there's some time sensitivity there. Ultimately, you've got to know that what you're doing is worthwhile. I remember I had a coach uh, in high school who would go around the locker room on Friday nights before the games. By the way, I love the fall. I love that we're about to get kicked off with some high school and college football. There's something in me this time of year. I need to hear some helmets crack. Can I get an amen on that uh, this morning? But I I remember a coach walking around the room and saying to us, Guys, I've got to see it in your eyes. I've got to see that you're ready to fight, that you're ready to compete. And he was right because you had to see it in someone's eyes if they were ready. The reality is today when we talk about winning people to Jesus, sharing the gospel with people who are lost, is that we are also in a fight. Our desire to see souls saved must be greater than Satan's desire to see them damned. And we need to know that that to be true. So today I want to give you a few truths this morning from this passage that I believe can help show us this is the motivation of our passion to win people about Jesus to win people to Jesus. And church family, let me say this honestly. this is true even in my own heart. We're not even close to being there yet. We don't live close to the urgency of bringing the gospel to those around us as God would have us to be. And so my prayer today truly is that God does something deep in our soul this morning. But if you're keeping notes, our first truth today is that as Christians, we should be urgent about sharing the gospel with others because we only have this life to bring glory to God. Only have this life to bring glory to God. Notice here in verse 9, Paul talks about his greatest ambition in life is to please him. He says, therefore we have as our ambition, whether at home, meaning if he's in the body or absent if he dies, to be pleasing to him. The two words that you've got to notice there are ambition and pleasing. You know that word ambition means what you're striving for, what you're longing for, what you're chasing after. Ultimately, your ambition in life is what gets you up in the morning. It's the reason why you get up in the morning. And Paul makes this statement here that the greatest reason he gets up in the morning is to be pleasing to Jesus. Now I want to give you a few ways here today that you can recognize that your ambition to honor Christ in this life, how that connects with sharing the gospel. First, this passage reminds us that the heart of every Christian should be to please Jesus. Paul's essentially saying here, this is the goal, the purpose of my life. You know, that would have been very odd in Paul's day, especially a polytheistic culture, for him to be able to say, the whole purpose of my life is to please and honor Jesus. And honestly, even today... That would seem odd. Somebody would say, what's your goal? What's your dream in life? What's your ambition? And somebody says, well, I want to be a great businessman, or I want to make a lot of money, or I want to be the best dad or mom in the world. But for somebody to say, the greatest ambition of my life is to please Jesus, that would be odd in our day. And sadly, that's odd in our very secularizing Christian context. Or somewhere or another we take Jesus as he's great when it comes to uh, me going to heaven or hell. But ultimately the rest of my life is about me. But that was never intended to be the case in Christianity. Paul's devotion to say that whether I'm alive or dead, the greatest ambition of my life is to be pleasing to him, is that that's not abnormal, that's not extra, that is just what it means to be a Christian. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, saying, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life, guard his own ambitions, live for his own life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life, meaning I have no dreams or no ambitions, no goals, my goals in life are just to please Jesus. Whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who should gain it. I remember hearing a story of a pastor driving around with his young son uh, in the back seat and they drove by a cemetery and they saw all the, the, the head markers and all the crosses there at the cemetery. And the little boy said, Dad, what are all those crosses out there for and on that green grass? And he said, well, son... Those are graves, those are headstones where people have been buried and they passed away and they put that marker there and, and Christians put a cross there and uh, he made the statement, as only little boys do in all their honesty. So that means that all those crosses, a bunch of dead people there anyway? Yes, yes, son, that's, that's exactly what that means. Well, a few miles down the road, they passed the church where Dad pastored and he spoke again from the back seat He said, Dad, look, we've got a cross on the top of our steeple at church. Does that mean dead people live there too? And he said, he took a moment, he said, well, son, it should. Not dead spiritually. A lot of times we talk about dead people at church, we think about spiritually dead. He said, no, it should. It should be the place where people gather week in and week out who have died. Who have died to themselves and who have given their lives the greatest ambition of their life to honor Jesus. Yes, son, it should. So church, again, we we talk about we've got limited opportunity in life to serve Jesus. We've only got this life to serve Jesus. Pleasing Jesus should be the greatest desire of our hearts and lives as Christians. And then secondly, this passage reminds us that the Bible makes it clear that we only have a short period of time in this life to please Jesus. Here Paul is talking about whether he's at home in the body or whether or not he is in eternity with Jesus. He's recognizing the the, the temporariness of his life. Paul's writing here is intended to point us to the fact that he was aware that he had limited time to honor God. Today, church family, we need to embrace the reality that our lives are fleeting and that we only have a short period of time to honor Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 4, We must work the works of him who sent us as long as it is day, for night is coming when no man can work. Basically saying, you've only got a limited time. We've got to work the works of him who sent us while we still can. But night is coming when no man can work. There's a moment where you will leave this earth in death or at Christ's return and we will not get to work for him any longer. C.T. Studd, in his famous poem of the late 1800s, said, One life to live, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. Now you may say, Pastor Zach, honestly, that just doesn't matter that much to me. I'm not really concerned about the fleeting time that I have to please Jesus. Friends, if this is you, I would tell you that you need to examine your faith in Jesus because we always care... About the performance of things that matter to us. If your investments start doing poorly, you care. If your sports team starts doing poorly, you, you care. The performance about it about it cares. If your children start doing bad in school, you care. And the reason why you care about these things is because they are valuable to you. Church, family, friends of all ages here today. I would say to you, if you don't care the way that you will perform in the presence of your King, and the presence of Jesus, how your life pleases or displeases Him, then it just lets you know that He is not that valuable to you. And if you don't see Jesus as the greatest treasure of your life, then you don't know the Jesus of the Bible. And then thirdly, the Bible makes it clear that one of the main ways that we please Jesus as a Christian is to proclaim the gospel to others. Before we leave this first point, we need to remember that Paul goes from talking about his ambition in life and wanting to please Jesus in everything, and then just two verses later, he talks about wanting to share Jesus with people. Remember, therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? It says, therefore, in 2 Corinthians 5, 11, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. I Meaning he's trying to convince people to come to know Jesus. It, he basically says, "I, I want to live every aspect of my life to please Jesus, and because of that, I go and tell people about Him. There are many things that we can do in this life to honor Jesus. I mean, you can love your wife well, you can be faithful in your finances. I mean, there's so many ways that you can honor the Lord well. But one of the most foundational aspects of honoring Jesus in this life is to give Him glory. And one of the greatest ways that Jesus has called us to please Him and to bring Him glory is to share Him with those who do not know Him. And friends, we only have a short period of time in life to do that. You know the one thing you can't do in heaven? One of the one things you can't do in heaven is you can't tell somebody about Jesus. You can't win somebody to Jesus. Friends, teenagers here today, you know something you can't do in heaven? You can't tell your, your buddies at school about Jesus. Because that time has passed. Night has come, is what Jesus says. We must work the works of him who sent us as long as it is day. For night is coming when no man can work. The close of night happens all the time to our gospel opportunities. When you graduate school or you, you leave a classroom, that the night has closed on that opportunity. You'll never have that opportunity again to share the gospel with somebody. When you change jobs, night has closed on the opportunity to share Jesus with your coworkers when you move to a different neighborhood night has closed for you to share Jesus with people in that neighborhood our opportunities are fleet when you sit next to somebody on a plane Night closes on sharing the gospel with that person when you get off the plane. We we are being presented with opportunities and we are either honoring God in those opportunities or we are dishonoring God. We are making the most of those opportunities or we are forfeiting those opportunities all the time. And we need to see ourselves in this light that our life is fleeting and we have one opportunity in this life to honor Jesus. Our second truth today is that as Christians... We should be urgent about sharing the gospel with others because one day we will give an account to God. You know, it's one thing for us to be urgent in sharing the gospel with others because we only have a short time in life to do so. It's another thing Paul mentions here is that one of the reasons why he has such an urgency to share the gospel with others is because he realized that one day he would have to stand before God and give an account of his life that he lived for the glory of Jesus. Look at verse 10. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Here Paul points to one of the major factors of his motivation to serve God so faithfully. And it is that one day he would have to stand before Jesus. I want to give you two truths we need to understand from this passage. First, This passage reminds us that Christians will stand before God in judgment. We see this at the beginning of verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now the Bible makes it clear that at the end of the age, every human being who has ever lived on this earth will stand before God to be judged. However, the Bible makes it clear that there are two different types of judgment seats. First, there is the great white throne judgment That we see in Revelations chapter 20. This is the judgment everyone who does not know Jesus will one day have to face. On that day, all the deeds of somebody's life will be laid bare before God. And then... God will open up what is called the Lamb's Book of Life. And the Bible says that if your name is not written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, that then, because you have no advocate on that day, because Jesus is not your Savior, then your life that was laid bare, all of your sin before Him is worthy of His wrath, and then you are cast eternally into the lake of fire, is what Scripture says, into hell. However, for Christians, we will stand before a separate judgment seat of God. It is not based on heaven or hell. If you're a Christian, that is sure and certain when you enter into eternity. Immediately, that is determined. Jesus says, that one is mine. But this judgment is based on our faith on the faithfulness of us as his children. This judgment determines our rewards and honor in the sight of God. But it will also be a time of humility for those who have not served Christ faithfully. Friends, we will all stand before God. For those who know Jesus, we will give an account of our lives for the glory of God. But for those who don't know Jesus, they will be dealt with in accordance with their sin in light of a holy God without grace and mercy. Now this should move all of us here today to some sort of decision. If you are a follower of Jesus, we should contemplate the fact that one day I will give an account of my life to my Savior for what I've done for His glory. Remember the parable when Jesus talked about the master who went away and came back and He had entrusted His servants with different levels of His investments to go out and be multiplied. And then one day He examined what they did with what He had given them. That's what was true for us as Christians. One day we will stand before God having received His grace and His mercy. Having received the forgiveness of Jesus of sin. And Jesus will look at us one day and say what have you done with my grace? But if you don't know Jesus then you skip over that. And you go directly to the white throne judgment where you have no advocate between you and the Father. And your eternity is decided on that day just basically whether or not you knew Jesus or not. All of us this morning should cause us to determine our lives. And I would say to you today that if you do not know Jesus today, if you don't know that you know that you know, then today seek out God's grace and mercy. And then secondly, this passage tells us that what we have done in this life will have positive or negative results as we stand before God as Christians. Notice he said, we must stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Paul says here that when we stand before Jesus, this is Christians, that we will be recompensed for what we've done, good or bad. The word recompense means we will receive. This is that moment when believers in Jesus will face their Savior concerning what they've done in this life for His glory. Theologian John Phillips made this statement about that moment. He said, this judgment is a serious affair. We are going to have to face the things that we have done in our mortal bodies, both good and bad. He went on to say, the phrase, we must appear, can be translated, we must all be displayed. This is where that moment where in the presence of Jesus, we will have to relive our life's actions as Christians before our Savior, who gave all for us. At this moment, the Bible says that all tears will be wiped away. After this moment, our place in heaven and our rewards in heaven will be set. But make no mistake, this will be a moment of great joy for those who have served Jesus well. But it will also be a moment of great sorrow as we face our sin, our apathy... Our lack of devotion, our greed, our materialism, our lack of concern for His glory, and yes, even our lack of engagement in bringing others to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, the Apostle Paul spoke about this day. This is what he says. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though himself will be saved, though only as through a fire. The idea here is that when you stand before Jesus, the fire of God comes and consumes our life. And all the things that we did in this life that just didn't really matter is burned up. And the only things that remain are the things that we have done for His glory. This passage shows us that on the day that we stand before Jesus and everything is laid bare, everything is, we relive our lives as Christians before our Savior, is that yes, there will be some moments where we receive glory. But there will also be some moments where we have to face great Humility. Church family, trust me, with Jesus as your Savior standing there, you want to have done well for His glory and for His name. I'll be honest with you, this last week I tried to allow my mind to go there for a moment. I tried to think about my life as a Christian standing before my Savior And as I stood there before my Savior in my mind, as I kind of went there, some of the first things that came to my mind was me clinging to my Savior's feet saying, Oh Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I could have done so much more for you please let me go back and do more for you. I will sleep for your glory. I will wake up with the gospel on my mind. I will not care so much about money and I will not care so much about politics and I will not care so much about the things that do not matter. From sunup to sundown, I will tell people about you. I will spend hours in prayer and desperation and study. Oh Lord, please let me go back and serve you again. And in my shame, Jesus looks down at me and says, Child, it's too late for that. That time has passed. He stands me up, wipes away my tears, is what Scripture says, and then walks me into heaven. That the last moment of grief, of shame, the last tears that I shed in this life are the tears that I wish that I could have done more for Jesus. And then I believe once I go into heaven, God in His grace, I'll never remember it again. But there is a moment where I will have to stand before Jesus and say, this is what I did with my life. I heard a poem once that said, Finish well, oh finish well. This thought resounds in my heart. Finish well, finish well, a hope that will not depart. Finish well for my Savior who gave His all for me. Finish well for the one who suffered and bled alone on Calvary. Finish well for my mighty master who loved me till the end. Finish well to him who is faithful and whose faithfulness did never bend. Finish, so for finishing well for Jesus is the highest desire of my soul. I want to finish well for Jesus whether I am young or I am old. And on that day I see him and stand before his face. I want to have finished well and to have pleased him in my race. I want to enter into glory with all eternity to worship him. Having given all for Jesus who washed away my sin. Friends, this morning we should have a great sense of urgency and our desire. To go reach people for Jesus and to proclaim the gospel. Teenagers here today, guys, listen, you should have a great urgency to want to go tell your friends and and people around you about Jesus because, yes, night is coming when one day you won't have that opportunity anymore. That, That time has passed. And then also because one day you're going to stand before Jesus who gave everything for you. And if you've received His grace, you're going to have to give an account of that. On that day, we want to have finished well. So friends, the first two motivating factors of our urgency in the gospel needs to be that we have a short life to honor the Lord and one day we will stand before God. And then finally, our final truth today is that as Christians, we should be urgent about sharing the gospel with others because of the consequences for those who do not know Him. In verse 11, right after he talks about in verse 10, standing before God in judgment. Then he says, okay, so now I'm going to go preach the gospel. One day I'm going to have to give an account to Him and Then he goes to verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, we need to know that here not only is Paul's first action and desire to please God in this life to persuade men or to want to tell people about Jesus, but we also see that one of the main motivating factors of him telling other people about Jesus was because he knew, as the Bible says, the fear of the Lord. Some translations translate this as knowing the terror of the Lord We persuade men. What Paul is referring to here in this passage is he's talking about the fear of the Lord. He's talking about the reality of what happens when somebody leaves this world and stands before God and they do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Essentially what Paul is saying here is is if standing before God will be so humbling and sobering for those who are His children, how terrifying will it be for those who are not? while the glory of Jesus and our desire to please Him should always be our primary motivating factor in sharing the gospel with others. Church family, it is also right and godly for us. One of our greatest motivating factors in sharing the gospel with others is because we are aware of the truth of the coming judgment of God. We are aware of the reality of a place called hell. We are aware of the terror of the Lord. I want to give you a few truths today about hell and God's wrath and how that should motivate us to share Jesus with others. First, we need to know that hell is real. While false teachings and you can go and find books and all kinds of things today that will tell you that a loving God does not uh, tolerate a place called hell, the only problem with that is the Bible. Over and over again in Scripture, we see that hell is absolutely real. In Matthew 10, verse 28, in speaking about God's wrath, Jesus tells people that they should fear God because he's the one who can send them to hell. The Bible says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. He's speaking about God. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, we see the moment at the end of the age. This passage should sober us here today. We see at the end of the age when all humanity that doesn't know Jesus is cast into hell. It says, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There are over 150 references to hell and God's judgment in the Bible. And the majority of those, by the way, come from Jesus. There are those who would say, well, Jesus is loving and graceful and He would never send anyone to hell. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus spoke about hell more than anyone. Hell is real. Secondly, we need to know that hell is worse than you could possibly imagine. In Mark chapter 9, verse 48, Jesus speaks about hell being a place of perpetual suffering. It says where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It's the picture there that there is an eternal fire but there's no end at the end of that torment. There is no ending. There's no death at the end of that. You've already experienced. You are in the second death. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus told a story about a rich man and a poor man who died. The poor man went to heaven the rich man went to hell. And the Bible records his words from hell. And this is what it says in Luke 16 verses 23 and 24. It says, In Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. He said, oh, if I could just get a drop of water on my tongue to cool this flame. He talks about the horrific events that are going on there. Brother John Hambright, our former pastor here at Enon at one point, and one of my great mentors, he used to preach a Message on hell, and the first two points were this that hell is serious because it's real, but it's sobering because what happens there. Thirdly, we need to know that hell is forever and it is final. The Bible gives several examples about the eternality and the finality of hell. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, Jesus again speaking about hell, he says, And these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. There is no ending of God's judgment there. And that is final, meaning that once you are in your eternity, that you are either in heaven or hell, that you are there forever. Again, when in Luke chapter 16, when Lazarus and the rich man, when the rich man is having that conversation with God about, about what's going on in hell, he, he asks Lazarus to come and, and just put a drop of water on his tongue. And the Bible says that God responds back to him and says, He cannot come to you and you cannot come to him, for there is a chasm that is set there. He's saying that this is a chasm and it is forever set. There is no such thing as purgatory. Where you can go to hell for a series, a moment of time, and then you get out of there. There's no praying somebody out of God's judgment. Once you are there, you are there. And fourthly, we need to know that hell is just. When we talk about hell, many people begin to rise up and say, Surely that is not right. Surely a loving God wouldn't send people to hell, especially those who have never heard about Him. The reality is that in His justice, God could be entirely just and righteous and never allow any one of us who have sinned against Him to have any ounce of His grace and mercy. The fact that any of us are given God's grace through Jesus is the greatest miracle that the world has ever known. And who are we to tell God what is just and unjust? Probably, however, one of the greatest ways that we see that hell is just, that it is righteous, is the fact that Jesus presides over Is what Scripture says. It's not like Jesus is absent from hell. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 10, we see that those who took the mark of the beast are cast into hell. And the Bible says that this place takes, and that, that what's going on in this place is it happens in the presence of Jesus. Listen to this. It says, and he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of His anger, and He will be tormented with fire and sulfur. Listen to this. In the presence of His holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. That Jesus being righteous is presiding over what happens in hell. The fact that He is presiding over it shows that Jesus says it is right and it is good. Church family... The Bible says that right now we are living in an age of God's favor and grace. Luke chapter 4 that talked about Jesus's coming says that this is proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This is the moment and the season in life and the epic of God's history where we can receive God's mercy and his grace. It is available to all of us in this season. But this what we talked about a minute ago, there's a day coming when night will close on opportunities and there's a day coming when night will close on the opportunity to receive God's grace. And that comes either in the moment of our death or at his return. But Whatever happens, wherever you are with Jesus at that moment in time, that season has closed. And then the next time you see Jesus, you will not see Him as the meek and mild one who came on a colt on His way to the cross, but rather you will see Him as the conquering King who is faithful and true, riding on a horse of judgment. So what should that say to us here today? If I didn't love you as your pastor today, I wouldn't share this with you. Finally, though, what we need to know is that hell is avoidable. Right now, it is avoidable. It is avoidable for everyone in this room right now or watching online that doesn't know Jesus. It is avoidable through Jesus. In John John 3, verse 36, Jesus said, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But this says, but those who do not obey His Son will not see life, but the wrath of God will abide upon Him. Church family, today, if you don't know Jesus... You can come to know Him today. Put your faith in Him. Say, Jesus, I need you. And by the mercies of God, and by the reality of judgment and the truth of hell, would you come to know Jesus today? That's the first thing you need to hear this morning. And the second thing we need to hear for all of us as Christians, this truth, the reality of hell and the possibility of grace is what should move us and motivate us to bring the gospel to those who do not know Him, who are leaving this world in death and standing without an advocate before a holy God. Charles Spurgeon said, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. If they perish... Let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. Church family, this is our responsibility. The good news is only good if it gets there in time. I remember being about 16 years old. I only been a Christian about a year, year and a half. I was praying for family members to come to faith in Christ, and my dad was on well, up the top of the list to want to see come to faith in Christ. Recently, he has professed that he's given his life to Jesus in just the last couple of years, and I praise God for that. But what I would say, yeah, Amen. Praise the Lord for that. But I can remember at 16 years old, I had a dream, and I dream my dad was in hell. I remember waking up from that dream in a cold sweat. I remember running downstairs and picking up the phone calling my dad who lived about five hours away at that point. And all of a sudden the idea of being cordial, the idea of what is acceptable, the idea of of, of being afraid of anything being awkward, all of that just went out of the window because my heart was being stirred by a sense of urgency of what could happen. My dad got on the phone and I said, Dad! I just got to let you know I had a dream that you left this world in death and that you were in hell. And I'm just going to beg you today, Dad, please give your life to Jesus. Please come to know him. And I remember him saying, well, son, you know, I, he started trying to talk to me. And I was like, no, you know, Dad, you don't understand. This is This is desperately important. You've got to know that you know. Give your life to Jesus. Praise God that years later I got to see my father come to know Jesus. But here this morning in the reality of hell is that I didn't have to worry about urgency or passion. It was there and we should live that way. Guys, some of y'all just started back school, man. And you're on football teams and you've got friends in classrooms. And I just, man, encourage you to see, remember, got to see the people around you and see them in light of their eternity. And you may be the only Jesus they ever see. And what a great privilege what a great privilege to be used of Jesus To one day you'll stand before Him if you proclaim Jesus to everybody in your class or everybody at your workplace or everybody, whether or not anybody ever comes to know Jesus which I don't think is true because God is working and drawing people to Himself but again, on that day when you stand before Him you can say, Jesus, this is what I did for Your name and glory I did try to win people to You and I preached the gospel and I let people know about You he will look at you and say, well done. So what do we do today? What do we do this morning? I would say first for those of us who are Christians. This should move us to preach the gospel. This is what changes us. We know the reality of heaven or hell and this should move us to a sense of urgency. Again, I can't get that off my mind. The Lord messed me up with it this last week of Jesus, me standing before Him one day and knowing everything He gave for me and me clinging, oh Lord, let me go do one more thing for Your glory. Let me go tell one more person about Jesus and He looks at me with His kind eyes and says, child, that time has passed. We don't live in that time right now. Right now you have that opportunity to go and please your Savior. And then lastly, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and if you were to leave this world right now and stand before God in judgment, and you have no advocate before the Father, and you are eternally destined for hell, but you can change that today. You know, We talked about that Lamb's Book of Life. That's where we'll be determined whether or not heaven or hell... He's determined whether or not your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, it's so incredible how the spiritual realm responds to what goes on in this physical realm. What could happen here today? Some of you this morning could call out to Jesus, could put your faith in Jesus and say, Oh Lord, save me and supernaturally in heaven your name would be written forever in the blood of a Savior in the Lamb's book of life that says, Now that one is mine. You could be saved forever today. So this is the moment of decision. I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to ask our instrumentalists to come. Man, I don't don't know about you, but knowing the urgency and what's going on, man, I can't help but want to get a little low before the Lord. Jesus, help me to please you. You've been so good to me. You're worth me pleasing you, O oh Lord. So it makes me want to come before the Lord in a little moment of repentance and say, Lord, I'm sorry that I haven't lived with a sense of urgency to glorify you. And I need a little moment of repentance and ask him afresh and anew to do that. And then I say, God, remind me to look around me and think about people eternally with or without you. God, I don't live that way. Help me to live that way. Church family, I have seen the Lord answer some prayers in recent weeks and months. And I'm just full of faith this morning that if we get on our face before Jesus today and ask God to give us His urgency for His glory and for the sake of the lost, that Jesus can change us forever today. That you'll never be the same. So I invite you to do that. Our pastors are going to be up front. If you're a Christian, you say, man, I just need to get before God. Then come and kneel here at this altar. or Maybe spread out in these aisles, man. Kneel before God. Let's just have a moment with Jesus this morning. Can we do that? And then, if you don't know Him as your Savior or Lord here today, call out to Him. Say, Jesus, I don't know you. Right there where you are, I invite you, bow your heads right there where you are. Say, Jesus, I don't know you. I don't know where I would stand on that day of judgment. So I ask you, Jesus, save me. Save me. I give my life to you. I make you the Lord of my life. Save me, oh God. If that's you this morning and you ask Jesus to save you, then in these next few moments, come and grab myself or grab one of these ministers, one of our pastors here at the head of these aisles and just let them know, I gave my life to Jesus today. They'll talk to you about what is next. But if you're a Christian, you need to get before God and do that in these next few moments. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, oh Lord, would you move? God, would you speak to us and give us the courage and strength to respond for your name and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.